Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and provide a foundation for understanding it, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and in this season number four, you'll find a new approach, including interviews and covering a wide variety of subjects. But after you listen to this episode, I encourage you to go back and really explore the previous seasons as they are full of valuable information. You get to pick and choose what to learn about next. Season one covers common aesthetic or cosmetic surgery topics and skincare, while season two explains reconstructive surgery topics. Then season three goes over general questions about plastic surgery. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and opinion, as well as those of any guest interviewed. It is not intended to provide medical advice, nor is it a substitute for a formal consultation with your physician. So stay tuned for this interesting journey we'll take together in the ever-expanding world of plastic surgery. Let's go! These days, we're bombarded with options for various providers, shall we say, who can perform aesthetic, cosmetic, or other contour-changing procedures we might be interested in or need. But how do we know who's who and who's qualified to do these procedures? There are so many different possible credentials. Are some more important than others? What about board certification? And is it okay for non-physicians to do procedures? I'm pleased to share with you a recent conversation with plastic surgeon Paul Leahy, who shed some light on this topic and gives some guidance. Dr. Leahy is a former practice partner of mine, and he has a lot of information to share with you. Well, I'm happy to introduce today Dr. Paul Leahy, a well-trained plastic surgeon with a broad practice. And today, we're going to ask you to help us with an interesting question. First of all, though, I would like to say welcome. And tell us how long you've been in practice. Oh, well, thank you. First of all, let me uh, say I am absolutely honored to do this with you. What a oh, great, great project. Uh, I've listened to all of them. You've got a growing library going. And Yay. I just, you know, want to say a quick thing too, just personally, uh, Regina, how much we miss you being around the office daily. Um, there are little uh, pieces of you throughout the, the day that kind of get reminded, for example, all the artwork that we still have up. Uh, I always think of you whenever I see one of those pictures cool. walking through the office. So we, we do miss you. But That's so cool. And we, we are so glad you're doing well. Yes, I miss everybody very much, but it's so nice to have you here. Thank you very much. Uh, so yeah, you know, the, the medical world, when you finish training and you move up to the next year, you know, you finish one year, go to the next year um, of training, it's always July 1st is the first day, you know? And so uh, just yesterday, I guess, would be starting my 15th year. And uh, so it's, it's been a good journey. Oh, that's great. And could you describe the breadth and scope uh, of your practice? So, you know, we really enjoy a good variety where we are. Um, you know, just about anything that someone thinks they want to talk to a plastic surgeon about, we will see them for, you know, and, and as time has gone on, you kind of start to whittle down and limit the things that you're particularly good at or enjoy more. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, we still do a variety of hand surgery, uh, facial surgery, body surgery, um, cosmetic and reconstructive sorts of things. So I really like that. Yes, you do a really nice mix of things. I, yes. I like that too. And that's the way my practice was. And I, I thought that was a, a nice way to enjoy all of plastic surgery. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, you know, our goal today is to answer the question for our listeners, who is qualified to do your procedure? 
And for this subject, we're, you know, particularly focused on providers of cosmetic or aesthetic procedures, but really the concepts, of course, could apply to reconstructive procedures as well. As we're talking about some other specialties whose practice may have some crossover, let's first ask, what is the definition of plastic surgery? What would you say to that? So, uh, you know, I think you've, I think you've touched on this before in some other episodes, but plastic Uh, as a word, is a Greek origin. And so we're always taught in training that plastic, in this sense, in terms of plastic surgery, means to mold or to shape. Because people always ask you, I'm sure you got this question throughout your careers, they're like, well, what are you guys using plastic for? You know, where where does it go? And so really, it's not that. It's, um, you know, sort of changing the shape um, of the body's tissues to get a better form or function. So when you take that definition, I mean, it's huge. I mean, it taught, you know, head to toe, all age groups, you know, uh, so all sorts of things can be involved in plastic surgery. And then, as you mentioned, there's because of that, there's going to be overlap with some of our colleagues, and they're going to do some things also that meet that definition. Absolutely. And often in the media, you know, plastic surgery is depicted as cosmetic surgery only, but really uh, it is much broader than that. There's so much in the reconstructive world of plastic surgery that is of benefit to patients as well. But what does it take to become a plastic surgeon? So uh, it's changed a little bit, even in just the past 20 years from what it historically was. But just to give the listeners a a sort of a basic outline, uh, for example, like if you go talk to college students or even high school students that are maybe thinking, hey, plastic surgery sounds kind of cool. How do you how do you get there? You know, uh, which I love to talk to those people, by the way. It's fun. It's great. Inspiring, you know, but um, so typically, you know, after high school, you would go get a college degree, a bachelor's degree. It can be in anything. Uh, in fact, it's probably better not to be biology or chemistry, you know, maybe because it gives you some better, you know, a little more breadth, I guess. Broader perspective. Right. Oh, yeah. And you and I think both together, we chose psychology just the way our, our background, but yes, um, which I find very useful. So I did. Uh, yeah. So did that. And then you apply to medical school and that's generally going to be four years. There are some variations out there. There are a couple of schools, even locally, that you can actually enter medical school right out of high school um, as a six year degree, as opposed to more traditional, you know, finish college four years, hopefully four years. And then, yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> and then a four-year medical school program, and then after that, so that program combines college and medical school essentially. Right, and it's great if that's what you know what you want to do. It's fantastic uh, that early in life, and then so it's interesting. You know, when you finish medical school, you have this degree behind your name, and but that doesn't mean you can do a thing. I mean, you, you really are not qualified to do anything. You're certainly yeah. not licensed to do anything. Yeah, uh, you could be called a doctor, but you really can't do much without someone you know above you signing off on everything. So you go through this training, almost like an apprenticeship. It's called residency. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have heard of that. And so you apply to those and those are throughout the country, I guess, technically throughout the world. And you're going to apply to your intended specialty, what you're interested in. And it's stressful, you know, and you're competing and certain specialties are a little bit harder to get into just because the spots are less and plastic surgery just happens to be one of those. You really have to want it. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it has to be your passion because I think last time I looked, neurosurgery, so brain surgery and plastic surgery were sort of the two most competitive things to get into these days for whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know why it's that way. but So typically now the programs are going to be six more years of that after medical school before you can actually you know, really go out and practice plastic surgery. So after your residency training, sometimes people do fellowships. Can you explain what a fellowship is? 
Yeah, these would be additional years of even more very, very focused training. You know, it's usually going to be with what people would deem to be an expert in that field, and you want to go get that training. So in plastic surgery, there are a couple subset training programs called fellowships. So that's going to be in, for example, craniofacial surgery. So that's working on the head and the neck. It's usually going to be more pediatric based, sort of mm -hmm. like the cleft lip and palate repairs. Birth defects. Yes. Like that. Um, hand surgery um, is another big focus. Yeah. Um, People often don't understand that when we talk about hand surgery, we don't mean cosmetic hand surgery, although there is some cosmetic surgery you can have for the hand or treatments. But uh, we're talking about reconstructive hand surgery, um, injuries, arthritis, nerve problems, carpal tunnel, all that kind of stuff is considered under the umbrella of hand surgery. Right. And matter of fact, so my training does not include that, you know, specific hand surgery training, but we, we sort of get a good broad, you know, training in that, um, in plastic surgery. So I'm, I feel very, very comfortable with most hand things. However, for you, for example, had a fellowship in hand and microsurgery That's right. at a very elite place. And so there are definitely things when we were in practice that we would send to you because I, I don't, you know, I need some help with this one. Yeah. And just another example of collaborating. And there are, let's see, continuing with that, there yeah. are cosmetic surgery fellowships. If you want to focus on the face or the breast or the body, there are things like that. Well, you know, people hear about the importance of board certification, but could you explain to the listeners, what does board certification really mean? What does it mean to be board certified? Yeah, so this is something near and dear to my heart for whatever reason. I just really like to help patients and the public to understand what that means because people publish that all the time on their website and you're, you know, you got to go to somebody that's board certified. So board certification, you know, unfortunately the term has become a little diluted, I think, because mm -hmm. there are these organizations out there that could be kind of, in a sense, I hate to say it, kind of, of a made up board, mm -hmm. you know, not really, not a whole lot of credentials behind it. You pay a fee, you submit your name and your credentials and then you get to be a member of this board and put that you know wherever you want to on your website or whatever but unless it's really you know if this is a truly organized board um, for example in the u.s we consider the american board of medical specialties so abms is sort of the, the really the true main body of you know an organization that has a lot of clout and it's um you know, well-researched. And for example, the hospitals, if you want to go be on staff at a, a major U.S. hospital, you have to be board certified at some point in one of these specialties. Um, mm -hmm. So I think there are, I just looked on the website, there are 40 of them. So 40 specialties are recognized um, as being under that umbrella. Mm -hmm. And plastic surgery has its own board. So the American Board of Plastic Surgery is, as you know, it's something near and dear to our hearts and we hold that certificate that you worked very very hardly for yes it's very stringent yes it is the top of my you know that is the main thing that i have um hanging on my wall i guess you know because you worked hard for it <laughs> yes yes and so uh so basically you know to do that um just because you finished all that training we just talked about you um, are not board certified yet the plastic surgery ones are particularly rigorous so you have to first of all take a written exam this is after you thought you'd finished all these written tests. You got to go take another test. Right, right. Um, and you typically would do that in your first year of practice. And then meanwhile, if you pass that exam, you are what we call collecting case examples. So you're, you're putting together a library, almost like a book report of the ones, the surgeries you've done. And you, 
the board, when you get ready to test with them, is in person. It's it's a oral examination. Very yeah. stressful. Yeah, intimidating. <laughs> right. And, you know, these are the experts in our field, and you see you're yeah. going to go talk to these people. It's scary a little bit, you know. Yeah, it's one of the hardest things I've done. Totally. Me too. And, and that's, again, why it means so much to us. But you – you know, they're going to quiz you and grill you hard about, doctor, why did you make this choice? What would happen if you had done this decision instead? And what do you think about your results? Let's be critical, you know, and at the end of all that, you know, it's about a 25 to 30% pass rate every year. So it's mm -hmm. very hard. Yeah. But once you get that, you have to maintain it as well. You have to continue doing, you know, credits and medical Testing. training. Yeah. yeah. So, so again, I mean, all of that is just to say, you know, it, it means a lot to us. It's important. And we want to we want to let the public know about that. I think if you're searching for a plastic surgeon, particularly, that person, you know, after a certain amount of time and they're starting training, they're not going to have that yet. But, you know, eventually you want to have that credential behind your name. Yeah. And what about um, people who advertise that they're board certified, but maybe in a different specialty? Does it matter which specialty they're certified in? Well, yeah. I mean, even in, even in our city here in the Midwest, a, a bigger metropolitan city, Kansas City, um, there are people that advertise as being quote cosmetic surgeons, or we do we offer aesthetic or cosmetic surgery. But if you dig deeper and you find out, well, they perhaps they're trained in OBGYN, maybe they're trained in dermatology or uh, head and neck surgery or oral surgery, or you know, you name it, you know, um, and they may be board certified in that discipline but maybe not by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. It doesn't mean they can't do it. It's just right. a different way of getting there. Just be aware. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that brings me to the question, should a plastic surgeon primarily be the one to perform plastic surgery? Or has the thinking on that changed over the last couple of decades? Who else might be able to do these procedures? Well, I would personally say that, yes, it's, it's probably changed a little bit, even just in the years I've been working. I mean, um, Still, I mean, I think a, a well-trained plastic surgeon um, can handle most problems that you would want to come talk to somebody about. I mean, cosmetic or reconstructive. And if, again, like I mentioned, if, if it's not something we particularly are focused on, we will, you know, that's our, that's our ethics. We want to get you to somebody who can help you. I mean, I'll just give you one example. I mean, well, some of the more complicated facial injuries that we take care of when we're on call for the emergency room. Um, you know, nowadays, if you have a fracture of your lower jaw, your, we call the mandible bone, which happens a lot, mm -hmm. you know, we might want probably to have an oral surgeon be present because they're, they're experts in getting your teeth to fit correctly and getting that bite just right. And we can do the operation sometimes together. And it's, I, I actually find that super rewarding. And I've learned mm -hmm. a ton from the people that I've worked with in that discipline. Yeah, but even more into the cosmetic surgery realm, I've developed a really nice relationship with a a uh, surgeon here in town who focuses on eyelid plastic surgery. So mm -hmm. his training is called an oculoplastic surgeon. And we've done some, he can focus on that part and I can work, for example, on the face or the neck or, you know, that kind of thing. And so he got to that place of being an oculoplastic surgeon through ophthalmology and then an additional fellowship? Correct. Yes. And, and that fellowship is, can you imagine someone who their entire life is our eyelids? I mean, it's amazing to me. You know, I just love it. And You'd be pretty good. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I, I highly, you know, defer things like that to them when, you know, we need help or it's a more complicated problem. Yeah. So, so really there are several specialties out there that somewhat overlap with plastic surgery. I think, you know, we have ear, nose, and throat, ENT, and we have oral surgeons, as you mentioned, dermatology, ophthalmology, OBGYN. 
uh, sometimes. You know, in a way, different specialties performing similar procedures could lead to a sense of competition of sorts, but it sounds like you think there's really a role for collaboration. How could the different viewpoints of other specialties enhance the care of a patient? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I look at it more of just, you know, getting the best results for patients and, and the safest results. And yeah, I, uh, definitely there's some friendly competition. Certainly there's a little bit of advertising that goes on like, hey, I'm going to um, I'm going to go have my facelift done by somebody who's trained in ENT or head and neck surgery, but they've done a f- extra training or a fellowship in, let's say, facial plastic surgery. So they're going mm-hmm. to confine their practice to plastic surgery or improving the shape and function of the head and the neck. And so they're very well trained and they can provide excellent care, very, very safe care. Great. Well, do you think plastic surgeons are held to a higher standard in terms of what it takes to become a plastic surgeon and what level of expertise is expected of them? I do think plastic surgeons are held to a higher standard. You know, I think in that maybe that's some of our doing and some of it's just the uh, public, I guess, sense of what plastic surgery is and what it can do. For example, I sure you remember, you know, people come and say, well, I'm coming to see you and my doc, even my doctor sent me to see you because you can do this surgery without a scar. You're a plastic surgeon, so there won't be a, a visible scar, right? And so it's hard. You're already coming from a point of, oh gosh, this is going to be a little disappointing to this patient because there is no scarless surgery for the most yes. part, you know? There's I always mean, going to be a scar. It's just a question of how visible it is. Yes. And, you know, I, hopefully, I, I think that's the holy grail in plastic surgery, but I don't know that I'll see that in my lifetime. But, you know, we're, we're always, we're striving for that, right? You know, the research there, but, Absolutely. you know, I think what we can do, what I, what I always just say to patients is, hey, you know, yes, there any, you know, human beings heal with scar. It's just how it goes. However, I'm going to give you my best. I'm going to do everything in my training. I'm going to try to use the best, make the best judgments, the best decisions for you and how we do that and how we put the tissues back together, so to speak, so that hopefully mother nature will cooperate and we can get the best possible result. If we don't, and there's problems with that scar, then we're going to talk about it. You know, we're going to see what other things might be able to be done to help it look the best that it can. Absolutely. And, you know, there are some national plastic surgery societies that many of us are members of, and those have certain level of expectations for our quality of practice and our behavior, uh, even some restrictions for our advertising and how we treat patients, how we present ourselves in the public as well. And maybe that is considered a little bit of a higher standard for plastic surgeons also. I love that, actually. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. So the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, so this big sort of group that we we belong to by choice. And you have to, in order to be a member, you have to you know, exhibit this board certification we've talked about. You have to have peers that refer you and and you know, we'll sort of vouch for you. But then once you get there, you have to live by and uphold the standard of ethics. And, mm-hmm. you know, for example, it's funny, one of the things that's, that comes up from time to time is this idea about, you know, for example, giving away a procedure as a prize for a contest, you know, so like a breast uh, augmentation or something. Yes, like that. you yeah. cannot do that. I mean, right. that that, it, in, that implies that this person is going to be a good candidate and we'll have, you know, all this sort of things that we need to evaluate. You cannot give that away. And so uh, it, that doing so, I think would devalue what we do and our, our passion. So 
that's just one of the things on that that yeah, big list like, of things. So there are some restrictions and and uh, requirements that we have to uphold in order to continue to be members of this very well respected society. Uh, that and the aesthetic society as well. The uh, American Society of uh, Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, now renamed the Aesthetic Society. Yeah, so I think that's important, and it's something that um, I think new uh, plastic surgeons, newly released into the world, if you will, that new grads uh, really aspire to, and um, it is a, a benchmark of success and quality. Yeah, I, I love that part about our specialty. Well, you know, performance of surgery is one thing, but what about the increasingly popular non-surgical procedures? You know, you've got injectables, uh, lasers, um, you know, various skin treatments uh, or non-surgical treatments to reshape the body. Um, what do you think about those? Where do nurse injectors and estheticians stand in terms of qualifications to perform non-surgical activities, uh, nurse practitioners, et cetera. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, at least in, you know, in our group that we work in, I mean, I rely extremely heavily on those uh, individuals um, because they, again, we've talked about earlier, they do it all the time. That's all they focus on. For example, our, our three nurse injectors are absolute experts and they can provide excellent care. They enjoy that, cultivating that relationship with their patients for for example, Botox or the filler products, those kinds mm -hmm. of things. And likewise with our skincare center, um, sometimes that's called a med spa, if you will. But basically these are, you know, again, highly trained individuals um, licensed who are estheticians. And, you know, they're going to have training in how best to use the lasers and the light energy and the heat and cold energies that we have, different skin products that are available to people, how they will respond. And we can collaborate because we're right there on site. That yeah. means a lot to me. That medical supervision is important. Yeah. Yes, I really, really think that's important. I mean, because there are clinics in town where, you know, these individuals are there functioning. They might have what's called a medical director in name. So there's somebody who has a, a medical license. As a matter of fact, you have to to order these products. You can't just go buy Botox online. Hopefully mm -hmm. you can't. And so you need to have someone who has that license who's hopefully overseeing these folks. But if you're not there watching it and you don't know that much about it, that's not your core training. I think it can be done better in this way. Yeah. Could be a little bit more risk in that situation, perhaps. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or if there's a problem, what are you going to do about it? If this person yeah, right. has a negative reaction, how do you fix that or address that? So. Yeah. Do you think, uh, though, that there are some limits of the scope of their practice? Uh, yes, I do. Because, you know, we see sometimes we'll get referrals from other uh, people in town that have sort of gone to a, a clinic or such that um, maybe just didn't get the best care. They didn't get the outcome that they wanted. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so we can sit down and talk. And so, well, tell me, tell me exactly what you understand was done, you know, what, what happened here. And hopefully we can put together a plan that once we review all those things, maybe we can make some improvements for that patient. You know, for example, one of the things that's come up, it seems like every five years, maybe, maybe you think so too, Regina, uh, thread devices, for example. It's a type of stitch or suture material that can be placed in the face or the cheeks and tightened and kind of to give a small lift. Mm -hmm. You know, they certainly don't replace a true facelift. And I've seen some good results, but you can have some significant complications with those, especially if they're not done in a place that's been trained and, you know, has a practitioner who knows what, what they're doing with those devices. And we'll see those from time to time. Um, hey, I went somewhere wasn't particularly done by a doctor, for example, and never met, never met a doctor. 
but this person put these threads and um, I don't like them or I have had a problem or infection or scar, those kind of pain. So, so those are, it's kind of tricky when you see those, you have to, to tread lightly and we never want to disparage anybody and you say, okay, well, here's what's happened. Here's what I think maybe can be done to help you. There is really a benefit to having a patient having a consultation first with someone who has a lot of tools in their kit, uh, can handle surgical and non-surgical treatments, and then help determine what would be best for that patient rather than just going to a facility or an entity where they are limited to what they can offer, and so they offer only certain things, even if the patient might benefit from perhaps something different or even surgery. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I I would just say, like in terms of like getting second opinions and that sort of thing. At our practice, we sort of work in these teams. So each doctor and each nurse work real closely together. My nurse, Maggie Miller, I cannot say enough amazing things about the care that she gives and, and how we truly function as a team. And I know when she talks to a person before me or outside of where I, when I'm there, I listen to what she has to say about this patient and their experience being somewhere else. And our, our typical thing that we will tell people, even after they've just seen us, for example, like, hey, I want to get another opinion. Great. I think that's wonderful. I would never dissuade a patient from getting another opinion. It's always good. But I have seen that work against the patient too, where getting three even might be too many. You start to confuse what was said. And, you know, this person said this, why, you know, I'm happy to come back and talk to the person another time about it, but it boy, it gets a little messy. And certainly when you're beyond three, it's too much in my view. So yeah, I mean, um, sort of have to shop around a little bit, get, make sure that the rapport that you you're developing with your team and your provider, whoever it might be, is a really, really, really good fit. That person's listening to you. They're, they're sitting down with you, taking the time that you feel that is appropriate and have counseled you about the pros and cons about what you're talking about. Realistic expectations are so important, aren't they? Yeah. In terms of having that good outcome uh, when the patient really understands what can be accomplished but what can't be accomplished, I think that's pretty crucial. So, and, and we all appreciate that and we strive for that when we're having a consultation with a patient uh, who may or may not be receptive to hearing that. Yeah. And I tell you, I find that, for example, the breast cancer reconstruction patients that we take care of. We love doing it. It's We're passionate about it. It's a necessary part of that whole process of taking care of this patient with breast cancer. But I feel internally when I'm, when I'm meeting someone for the first time, you so badly want to give them hope. You know, you're facing this potentially really significant operation that can be disfiguring, you know, and painful mm-hmm. and really affect your life in, in potentially a negative way. And you want to offer them hope. Hey, look, you know, here are some examples of patients that have done very, very well with these options we're presenting to you. But also, it isn't perfect. I mean, you know, there are known problems with it. And so mm-hmm. you have to prepare, you know, look, we're going to go on this journey together. And we don't exactly know where it's going to end up. But I always say, look, I will not give up on you. I will help you. Uh, it's going to reach a point when we're talking about trying to reach perfection that's probably not possible. But, and if we get there, I will tell you, you know, I think you should stop here, but, but we'll do that decision together. So. Yeah, that's really great that you invest that much care and concern into your patient's outcome. And I think that speaks fairly highly of you, actually. So thank you. Kudos to you. So, you know, in the end, how do you think people should choose a plastic surgeon? 
Um, you know, I feel like we get most of our patients these days, particularly for the cosmetic or aesthetic procedures as word of mouth. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to probably be your best bet. If you, let's say you move to a new city though, you know, sometimes we'll meet people like I just moved to Kansas city, for example, and I had my breast implants placed 10 years ago in Florida or whatever. What do I need to do? What are there? Are my implants? Okay. What, what else can be done? You know, who's going to take over my care? So those people, unfortunately, probably have to start a little bit by Google or, or, you know, a search engine or, uh, just maybe get they some know. names, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You start somewhere and I think that's, that's fine. And we, we're happy to start there. But you don't stop there. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if you can, you know, if you can find somebody or talk to somebody in the community that, Hey, I saw this doctor so-and-so and I had a really good result or a good outcome. I enjoyed the practice. Um, or, you know, unfortunately it works the other way too. Like I didn't have the best experience here. I, mm-hmm. I didn't feel that I was heard or listened to, um, you know, take that, listen to those things. I mean, um, thinking about like the online reviews and the Google reviews and things like that, you know, you can read them, take them, you know, listen to them. I mean, but also take it with a little bit of grain of salt, you know, and, and sometimes experiences were misinterpreted. And also, as you know, as surgeons and physicians, we can't reply very specifically, you know, for, for reasons of protecting their privacy, you know, you can say, Hey, I'm sorry, you had this, I really would appreciate if you'd come just come talk to me directly, I'll help you. HIPAA violation. Yeah. 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 So that's hard for us when we see those. But um, usually when I get those, I know exactly who that person is, I will just reach out to them directly and say, Hey, is there a misunderstanding here? What, what did I misunderstand? Let me let me try to help you. Or if you've lost trust, let me get you to some let me let me give you a good name to go see. Mm -hmm. So experience, you know, the surgeon's experience is important and credentials. And what about photos? What do you think about that? I think those are really important, um, you know, on our website. Like before and afters. Yes, yes. Before and after photos. I think that's really helpful. You'll Because, you know, what I like to do in consultations, I'll go through, you know, for example, if you want to talk about breast augmentation or adding a breast implant. Well, let's sit down and I'll show you some examples of people who have this exact size of implant that you may be thinking about. We have a huge library of people that we, you know, have photos on. Not all of those we... You know, we don't all put those out on the on the for the public viewing, and that's yeah. you know. And the patients give permission, of course, explicitly even be before they can be included. Absolutely, yeah. yeah we yeah. would never do that, and they're and even when you do, they're always anonymous. For example, I feel like this 350 cc breast implant is going to look great on me. Can you show me some other examples? Well, yeah, we can. Let's look at that. You know, and you'll notice quickly how the different body types and shapes and things. What you're starting with makes a huge difference, and what's what that implant will look like, right? And uh, it, it, and I love it when people sense, they, they see that like, wow, that really looks different on her compared to her compared to her, you know, and my neighbor said, oh, I got this implant. And I, this is what you need. But now I'm thinking about it. I don't know if I, maybe that's not what I really had in mind, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, photos are great. And we don't have it yet, but there is some technology coming down the pipeline, hopefully soon, where there's this sort of, um, sort of virtual imaging. Think of like a standing floor length mirror. And the patient can stand in front of this thing and it can simulate, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an example, but it can simulate what you might look like with this particular breast implant. I mean, how cool is that? That's um, pretty cool. Yeah. And, and, and it's not perfect. I've seen it a little, you know, some photos of it in action. It's, it's pretty good. Um, but it's maybe one other tool that can help the person if they're on the fence about a certain size. So mm. hopefully we'll have that actually in the office and plugged in and working soon. Well, wonderful. You know, and as you're thinking about it, are there any 
final thoughts on our topic today, you know, for the listeners who is qualified to do their procedure and how they should choose their provider? Well, thank you. I mean, I guess just as a summary, you know, we talked kind of touched on lots of different components of that decision, but I, I would say the ultimate thing after you've met somebody who you've, you've gone to meet for a consultation and you're thinking about going through with the procedure, whatever it might be, um, even if it's just with a needle or a laser or something like that, uh, or a real surgery, is do you feel confident in that person? Did, they, did you have a connection? Did you have a rapport? And um, do you feel like this is someone that would listen to you after the fact as well, if there's any sorts of issues, even if they're excellent results? Like, you know, how can I share those results, you know, with other people? And I think that would be my, my last statement for folks when they're choosing a, a plastic surgeon or really just choosing a procedure in general. Yeah, I mean, it's so important to have that rapport and comfort and confidence in the provider because if there is a complication, you need to feel comfortable going to that person, going back to that person and being properly treated and uh, trust that you're going to get the care that you need and have to be comfortable with that. So I think that's, that's great. Yeah. Very good. Thank you so much, Dr. Paul Leahy. Very knowledgeable on this subject, and it was interesting to hear what you have to say, your perspective. Really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for being here. Well, I loved it, and I really appreciate the invitation, Regina. Uh, I wish you so much continued success. Thank you. Take care. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something, too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded. Decoded.